final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to the Great Scott Show on a Friday. What's happening? Hey, give me all you got Friday. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! The Celtics-Warriors game one of the NBA Finals, that fourth quarter. Holy wow. What? The Celtics did what? (sighs) Hey, NCAA regionals begin today. The road to Omaha. Cajuns in action tonight against the Horn Frogs. LSU plays Kennesaw State. We got a lot to get into this morning, y'all. Gus Cottengill, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Yeah, Saints OTA has been happening this week. We're going to chat with him, talk NBA Finals, talk a little black and gold. Brad Topham, who's in College Station, color analyst, UL baseball alum, joining me in the 8 o'clock hour on the phone lines to talk regionals. That finals game last night, I mean, the again, Boston. Ime Adoku, shout out to the head coach of Boston. Shout out to the Celtics. They continue to prove me and so many wrong. What was crazy is, like, they they appeared to be so dead. I mean, the first quarter starts, and Steph Curry is in on-fire mode in NBA Jam. Can't miss. Can't miss. It's ridiculous. Six threes all over the place. They didn't guard him. Then they started to guard him, and suddenly couldn't do all that much. Wasn't hot. Maybe his arm got tired, like a pitcher who threw too much. The it, the fourth quarter of that game was stunning. It was stunning. The Celtics in the fourth quarter, led by just, I mean, it wasn't like Jason Tatum was out there balling, y'all. Marcus Smart sent, spent the majority of the fourth quarter on the bench. You had old man Al Horford, Derek White, Pete Pritt, uh, Peyton Pritchard out there on the floor going on an insane run against the Warriors in, I was about to say Oakland, San Francisco, wherever the hell they play now. The Chase Center ain't Oracle, I'm just saying. Like, the second half starts, as you're watching, you're like, man, Boston, you know, they took to Golden State's best shot. They're feisty. They're resilient. They have a, a small halftime lead. Then the third quarter starts, and you're like, yeah, this is the Warriors. This is what made them special. Those title runs they had for a number of years in the mid-2010s. And then in the fourth quarter, 
They look like the Warriors team the two years in the last state where they didn't even make the postseason. McCurry hit six threes in the first quarter. Golden State led by 15 points in the third. They're at home. You're not thinking, yeah, this Warriors team is going to blow this lead at home. It was the perfect win for Boston. A road win to open the series when Jason Tatum doesn't play well. It, it, it was it was shocking. Maybe I shouldn't be shocked because that's that's the kind of things that Boston has done. It but it again, I was just sitting back watching that fourth quarter. They're putting Marcus Smart on the bench to start the fourth. They got Peyton Pritchard out there and he's playing well, but like he's guarding Curry and Golden State's not setting up anything. Boston locks down defensively, and then they're getting all these easy three point looks. Horford can't miss and Golden State couldn't stop the bleeding. Derek White, Al Horford, and Marcus Smart were 15 of 23 from beyond the arc. Boston outscored Golden State 40 to 16 in the fourth quarter. Think about feeling good going into game two. Jason Tatum, Tatum looked nervous. In the finals, he did. He looked nervous. 3 of 17. But all those jitters you might get when you play in an NBA finals and the idea that, well, Golden State has a lot more experience in the finals, you know, at least their core does, the big three. That I I feel like that is, is a factor in game one, but once you get deeper into the series, it's not. Unless you get into, like, a late game situation in game seven, maybe. Like, I, I don't think Tatum's going to have those jitters again come Sunday. It was it was a stunning fourth quarter, man. 337-269-1077. We'll open up phone lines a little bit this morning. Gus Kangel joining me in a little bit. But game one in the books. And, and look, I, I, I dug it. There were moments where it was like, oh, my God, I guess we're going to have another, you know, lousy game here. But when Boston started just with a quick surge in the fourth, I'm like, here we go. And, yeah, it ended at 120-108. It was a double-digit final. But there was a lot of entertainment value in last night's game one. Reminder, you can hear the NBA finals right here on our airwaves, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Let's head to the phone lines. Good morning. Give me all you got. What's up? Uh, I don't want to get carried. Excuse me. I don't want to get carried away after one game. You know, I've seen this before. Um, when I was a kid, uh, Portland beat uh, Detroit the first game, and they lost four in a row. Uh, situation uh, about twenty over twenty years ago. Of course, Lakers and Sixers. Sixers won the first game, and Lakers won the you, uh, yeah, next but, but I, do you get the sense that this Boston team is like that Sixers team, or even this Warriors team was like that Lakers team, for that matter? That yeah, Lakers team uh, hadn't lost three. a game. The, that was the only game they lost that entire postseason. Like Philly took Game yeah. One in that series, but it didn't. I don't know. Look, I, I'm I'm not going to switch my pick of who I think is going to win the series. I mean, I pick Golden State, but. I I was yeah. I, w- I was very very surprised by that fourth quarter last night, and I think I think this series can go a lot farther than I predicted. I mean, I, I don't I don't think we're going to see a gentleman sweep by Golden State. Uh, you know, no, I, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is uh, 
I just it's just one game. I don't want to get carried away. Um, like you said, I still think Golden State. But this is this is my thing. Oh, Curry can hit all the threes. He can hit all the threes when there's no pressure. He's hitting all the threes. He's he's doing what he's doing. Uh oh, not a trailing. I remember when he had a wide open three. Somebody said he's gonna hit that. Hey, man, Curry not clutch. Curry hit those threes when there's when there's no pressure. As soon as when as soon as we get to clutch moments, what's Steph Curry? We talking about he top ten of all time. Oh, okay. Like I said, it's just one game. But this I mean, I mean, look, he, you, you, come on, he's hit some clutch threes. Man, I'm talking about in the finals. I'm talking about NBA finals. Steph Curry is not a clutch. When it's time, when it's when it's time for the finals, Curry has, like I said, just one game in the series. But Curry hasn't, he hasn't have a clutch moment in the finals that I've seen. You know what I'm saying? I, I can't, I, I can't recall not one. Maybe there's some games against Toronto. He had some games, but like I said, when when, it, when it's time to get, you know, he get lemon booty, man. We know, we know the game. You know what I'm saying? Curry, man, Curry is not that dude when it comes out. When it comes to the, uh, the, the when it comes to that pressure moment. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I mean, well, I, like I, I said, well, I think I look. He wasn't last night, and I, I thought Golden State obviously in the fourth quarter were awful. And I think when when you're when the best defender is on the bench. And Marcus Smart, and you've got Peyton Pritchard. With respect to Peyton Pritchard, he's not the defender Marcus Smart is. And Pritchard's sitting there guarding Curry. I mean, Steve, like, run an offense. Get some open looks. Do something. But it was, let's just do whatever we can to get Steph. Let's hope he dribbles around. Maybe he'll find someone open. Let's try to get it under the – I mean, they were they were, they were, were all out of – they were just – they were totally discopulated in the fourth. And Boston deserves credit for that. But, I mean – that was as bad a fourth quarter as Golden State's ever played. It was it was horrendous from their standpoint. Yeah, they, well, they had like I think they they opened up the fourth for like they hit their first seven threes. If I'm not mistaken, I saw a graphic. I mean, Al, Al Horford. I mean, my, my my guy Norm pointed it out. That's a funny shot. <laughs> it's like it's like he's like a shooting a musket. But hey, man, when it go, <laughs> when it goes in, I was I was happy for him last time, man. First NBA Finals game, he he brought it, man. He's he's trying to. Trying to get back to his uh, his younger days in this series, but he's been he's been huge for them in the uh, not just I mean last night, but in the whole whole playoffs. I mean they they obviously don't win the Milwaukee series without him, and I don't think they win the Miami series without him. So he's been clutch for him. I mean the, the games he hasn't played, the games he's missed, Boston's lost this postseason. Yeah, like I said, one game. I just want to see top ten. I want to see what top ten of all time. Let's we'll see what he what are you gonna what are you gonna do in this. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know I don't know if I I don't know if I'd put. It. I mean, I think he's. I'll, I'll consistently say I think he's the best shooter of all time, top ten player. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know. That's that's a that's a, that's a good summer. That's a good that's a good that's a good summer topic to last the top ten. But off the top of my head, I don't know that I'd I'd have him in there. Not to say he can't get I'm in upset. there. <laughs> I'm upset with myself because I you know I didn't I kind of went to bed late. I didn't I didn't get a chance to hear uh, Linda's show. I wanted to hear his analysis, you know. But like I said, I didn't hear it, and um, that's all. That's all I have to say. And thank you, man. Thank Appreciate you. it. Game two Sunday, seven o'clock. Pre-game begins at six, right here on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Like I said, NCAA regionals getting underway today. Louisiana taking on TCU tonight. You're watching on ESPN Plus. We invite you to sync up the streaming video with the audio, whether it be streaming or right off of 
the terrestrial airwaves. News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Jay Walker, Brad Topham have the call. Brad's going to join me in the 8 o'clock hour to talk plenty of college baseball, Cajun baseball, little LSU and more. We'll talk a little college baseball, NBA Finals, and Saints with our next guest, Gus Cattengale, joining me after this. It's a Gibby All You Got Friday. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! On the Great Scott Show, we're right back after this. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette. Back into the great Scott show on a give me all you got Friday. Joining me now, Saints and Pelicans correspondent over there in the Crescent City, host of the Sports Hangover, ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans, <clears throat> Gus Cattengale. He is uh, in the gym right now as he talks to us. I think he's doing some curls for the girls or at least working on it. All right, finish up that last rep, Gus. Get it in. I'm going to be your trainer while we're talking sports here. You got it. You got to get it up. All right. Now it's on the rack. Good morning. What's happening? I'm uh, trying to catch my breath. How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, NBA Finals last night. How stunned were you by the way that fourth quarter unfolded in the moment? Yeah, you know, it's... Kind of like what we were talking about earlier in the week when you came on our show and talked about it last week, man. This Celtics team, you heard, you know, Daka, the head coach after the game, you know, kind of say that finals experience is overrated. This team just sort of plays with that I don't give a weep attitude and they could be physical. And, you know, if you almost watch them play Warriors basketball with the passing, the assisting, the quick, you know, pass to the open guy in the corner for the three. But they got that size, man, and man, it's crazy. And you, you take a look at just uh, the scoring. You know, you, you go into that finals and somewhat to that storyline with where it's been with people basically paid him. Yeah, twelve points. He was three of seventeen. I mean, it was yeah, like exactly. I, I don't. I, I just don't know how it 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 could have played out better for Boston to get a win where. They win the fourth quarter 40-16. to 16. They do it with Jason Tatum having a, a bad game by his standards, 3 of 17 from the field. Marcus Smart was on the bench for more than two-thirds of the fourth quarter when they really started making that, you know, just uh, a comeback that went from comeback to, oh, my God, now they're just kicking their rears. And now, you know, you've, you're playing up. You get a game on the road where Golden State hadn't lost at home this postseason, and now you're going into game two thinking, man, if Tatum plays a little better. I mean, that's 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 an optimistic way of looking at it. Golden State, on the other hand, is like, look, we, we did what we had to do for three quarters. We just completely fell apart in the fourth. I, that's one thing about this year's Golden State team, Gus, that you've seen it at times, right? 
they 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 think that teams are going to roll over because maybe there was a period of time there where Golden State was so dominant years ago when you know you get up they get up a lot on somebody and 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 they just kind of crush a team's will that's not happening right i mean they they were up 3 to 1 on memphis thinking oh memphis ain't going to do anything here in, in you know game 6 i mean they, this series is over and memphis just completely ran them out of the gym just just annihilated them right you have boston last night with that third quarter from golden state you're heading into the fourth and they just let up for a second and boston made them pay in a big way when you got Derek White Jr., Al Horford, and Marcus Smart combining for 15-23 from beyond the arc, and the defense of Boston locking down, and Peyton Pritchard guarding Steph Curry in the fourth and slowing him down extremely. It was like Golden State, they were like a prize fighter that just they let their guard down just for a second, and then they got knocked out in the face. That's what that fourth quarter felt like. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think the one thing that this Boston team has shown Scott they got, like I said, they got that attitude, man. They got that fight in them. And, um, they truly don't believe uh, that they can't win a game. And I was just a calm and demeanor. You know, like one of the things I was talking about yesterday on the show was to the fact that I was pretty incredible with that. You know, they have, what, 100-something-plus years in the 200 games of finals experience combined, the trio of the Warriors do in Green, Thompson, Curry, but Boston as a team has 581 games of playoff experience. Now, I understand it's not the finals, but in a playoff game, Scott, especially against a good team, you're probably going with six, seven games in the series. You're probably going to have games within that series where you're up and you lose or you're down and you come back to win or you have games where your best player doesn't play well you have games where there's injuries you have so in 581 games you probably have gone through it all right and, and it's kind of what you just described um oh okay jason's off today somebody else steps up uh somebody else's opportunity and i, I think all that experience does pay off to you and Again, I, I go back to something that you just brought up on my show and bring it up. There's something, I wouldn't say off, but something that you can, I think, point to with this Warrior team, whether it's when they got smoked by Memphis or you see some teams kind of get under their skin. And, you know, Matt Riser, coach of the Southeast Alliance, was on our show yesterday, and he said it's important for his team to play with emotion, but not emotion, no. And, and and I think that applies to sort of what you see with the Warriors, right, where they don't make a shot. And even early in that game, in the second quarter before halftime, you saw a, a foul from Steph Curry, who clearly was a foul. And, you know, I mean, he, he hits the guy on the arm, driving to the basket, and then he's, you know, the mouthpiece is out, and he's just getting all caught up. And you almost wonder sometimes if they play too emotional with it, and that's hard for you to kind of um, – you know, keep your emotions in check. That makes any sense, right? They yes, yeah. They did. They didn't respond well. Now, you know, a caller called in the first segment. He said, "I'm not going to overreact to one game." As you know, I picked Golden State in five. I'm not feeling great about that right now. I don't know that we're going to have a gentleman sweep, but it is just one game. I I don't know that 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 Golden State is. We have we have enough of a sample size from them to know. Like I don't, I don't know that they're gonna. If they, if the same situation, if a similar situation were to arise, 
I don't think they're going to be like, oh, God, here we go again. I think they're going to approach the fourth quarter a bit different. You know, um, you know, Steph Curry said afterwards, look, I, I believe in who we are and how we deal with adversity, you know, how we responded so far in the playoffs after a loss. So a lot to learn from the fourth quarter. But they made a lot of shots, and they did. They They hit a lot of shots that – you know, the idea of make or miss league simplifies so much more of what the game of basketball truly is. But for argument's sake, it, it, it at least at the start of that run for the fourth, that's what it felt like. I mean, Boston's getting some open looks from guys like Al Horford from beyond the arc, who my friend Norm said his, his, his shot looks like he's shooting a musket. Uh, but when they go in, man, I mean, Horford's been clutched for him all postseason and Derek White went off last night and... You know, whenever whenever you're – it's one thing – look, I think you need your, your stars to play well to win a series, especially in the finals, and you need a few role players to step up. The fact that Boston didn't really get it from their star last night and their top star, obviously, and still win the way they did, it was it was the most lopsided fourth quarter in the history of the NBA Finals. Like that – statistically, it was – just, I mean, Jalen Brown, he was a big part of it, and he scored 24 points in the game. But I um, I don't know, man. I, I there That first game, how will we look back at it, you know, when this finals is over? I don't know. Is it going to be kind of like, oh, man, remember how weird that was in game one? Or is it going to be, man, it gave us all of the signs we needed to see, everything right in front of us about who would win this series. How do you think we're going to look back at game one when the NBA Finals ends, is it going to be telling? Is it going to be, oh man, game one was kind of good, but are we going to remember some other games in this series a lot more than last night? Well, I, quite honestly, that first game is how what we've seen in this postseason, man. It's just nuts, right? I mean, I think I even brought it up to you. Oh, three balls, so important. And Austin's going to jack them up. You know, Golden State's going to jack them up. That's kind of what they're known for. And it really is. It's almost like you know, throw up a volume of shots and see how they stick. So I think we're going to look back at it as you know two things. One, it is the first piece of adversity that the Warriors uh, will face here. And it, it all of a sudden makes that game too crucial. Here's the other thing. Was, after winning the first game of the best of seven series, they won 14 straight. So they didn't win game one. So I'll add something different to it. You look at also how important game ones normally are. If they go down 2-0, that's, that's an uphill battle. And it kind of takes my theory of, you know, forcing Boston's higher players and having gone through a much tougher, I think, set of series to get to the finals. So, I mean, Boston, you not only pay the house money, but I'm going to go in there. You know, snow and blood in the water. And I think it absolutely helps the Celtics. Like they don't play till Sunday. They don't play tomorrow. They play Sunday. They're getting an extra day of rest. You know, to kind of go steal another game. And you you put a lot of pressure on Golden State now to go and 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 get that game too. They have to win game two. But you think then you're starting to add a little bit more to it. And, you know, don't think that these players don't hear and see the narratives and all that. And, you know, so many people going into that game saying, you know, Chef Curry's legacy that ends up in the finals. And he dropped 34 points. And he did what he could do there. But, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's big for them. Uh, 
no doubt. So I, I definitely think you look back at this game, and it could be a tone setter. It could be one of those games that go, hey, Boston's only win. But I, I think with both of these teams, they can win and lose at home. I, I just you've just seen it in this, this postseason already. It's crazy. You and I have talked about this in time that the eventual winner of the NBA Finals would have gotten blown out in the quarter, blown out in the game, blown out in the half, and yet wind up being the NBA champion. Pretty strange. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I think it's, I, I, I don't mind it. I mean, I, I want more entertainment, entertaining games like we got last night, but, you know, I like that better than just, okay, one team's going to dominate for the most part throughout the postseason. ESPN Lafayette. All right, speaking of the postseason, Gus, NCAA regionals begin today. I was on your show this week talking about that. Um, LSU, Kennesaw State, right? That's tonight. Obviously, Louisiana Raging Cajuns taking on TCU. You got La Tech and Dallas Baptist over in the Austin Regional, and then you got Southeastern, the four seed. You got four teams from the state. Uh, you have four teams out of the Sun Belt, and Southern Miss will be in the Sun Belt next year is is hosting, so that would make it five. Old Dominion's good. I mean, you've got ACC and SEC with a bunch of teams in there. You got a strong mid major in baseball who had some down years as a whole in the Sun Belt that feels like they're back on the rise in a big way. There are a lot of storylines, obviously, heading into this NCAA regional. One is, can anyone possibly keep Tennessee from winning at all because they're that dominant? What, what in your mind, before we talk about you know a couple of, of local angles in this thing, but just as a whole, what's the story heading into NCAA regionals today that you are most intrigued by? Yeah, look, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about earlier this week with you about uh, the, the level of baseball in the state, man, and what if you have. And it, but one of the things that I guess has stood out to me is really also storylines and the adversity that a lot of these teams have, have sort of faced. Like I mentioned earlier, we have Matt Rise on every Thursday, and which I was in, and that guy's literally pinched me and he's starting pitching. He lost all his starting pitching most of the season and went through a uh, a long losing streak, and then went through a big win streak to kind of get caught back up, and you know, lose the six to zero in elimination game this postseason. So they're not going to be too nervous about that. They went into Arkansas and won the series there earlier in the season. Um, you, you and I touched on what the Cajuns have, have sort of done as well, and you know, Louisiana Tech, and you mentioned Southern Miss. Since I was talking to John Cox yesterday, the voice of the Eagles, it's the same thing. Both of these schools, and a lot of these schools in state, these non-conference games that they play or even in-conference games, you have maybe a rival here or there, and it feels like regional play. I mean, there are some, you know, games this year that you, you kind of get that sense and feeling. And, you know, Dallas Baptist is the team that swept Southern Miss. So, I mean, you just you look around and – I just think it's something I think I brought up to you, man. It's gone are the days to me where, uh, you know, regional play happens. You're like, oh, this team's in. We'll see them in the super regionals and all that. You have a lot of four seeds. You have a lot of three seeds. Um, so, like I said, TCU is the conference winner uh, that played in Louisiana school. So, you, you have teams that are threes and fours that are good, you know, that either won their conference tournaments or um, – has earned their right to be there. So you, you better be ready. And I think one of the things that you're going to see that I think always matters no matter your seating or 
where you are, man. If you have that depth, you have that pitching that can help. It's going to be a good thing, and you know it's interesting how certain teams um, play the, the first game. You know, do they play early? Do they play late? A lot of teams like to pick that early slot, uh, and then have some extra time to, to rest up. And you know, teams that have one or two pitchers. Which one do you throw? Do you keep your best one for Saturday? Do you try to get off in the winter bracket? All those different aspects of it. It's remarkable. I love it. I love this time of the year and see um, everybody back. ESPN Lafayette. So you're you're a Southern Miss alum. The Hattiesburg Regional that's sold out in a hurry. Um, LSU being there, Kennesaw State, really strong season from them. Um, and then you have Army, and then of course Southern Miss as the host. It, talk about a great college baseball atmosphere. You should get it in Hattiesburg, man. You talked to play-by-play boys from Southern Miss earlier this week. Um, obviously, you know you know plenty of LSU fans and 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 that baseball tradition. Who who's coming out of the Hattiesburg Regional, Gus? I honestly would not be surprised if Southern Miss does. And, and the reason I say that is, again, if you don't follow them, you probably... Oh, they're, they're hosting you know. for a reason. you know. They're... Right. No, but I'm saying, like, especially here. I mean, look, I, I was on Fox 6 Overtime show earlier this week, and Madeline went to LSU, and Juan, they're like, okay, you know, it's you know LSU is a more talented team, and they should win it. I mean, you're absolutely right. Look, there's some LSU players this week that are like, yeah, we're looking ahead. I hear you. Southern Miss has three guys that can play on... They can be a Friday starter. Yeah. Kind of Hall, their Friday starter, just one collegiate pitcher of each year. Um, that's their Friday guy. Their Saturday guy is just as good. Tops, you know, uh, could be a Friday guy. And then their Sunday guy hits, I think, 99 on the gun. The other guy hits 98 on a Saturday. So that, that's what you have, and that's a huge advantage. And my thing is this. LSU absolutely should be a team that we should be looking at as a super regional, as a hosting team, as a team that should go to Omaha with the talent and the offense they have. That's ridiculous. I mean, one through nine, you can have, you know, bombs away. I mean, we saw at Vanderbilt, they're down 6-1 shot, and the next thing you know, that they win that game 20 or something. They're, so a, little, they're a little Jekyll they, and Hyde, aren't they? LSU, because yeah, uh, one the, thing... Well, that's what I was going to get into. Yeah. It, it's their fielding. It's their, it's right. their fielding. But right. when you literally can't get out of an inning, like in close game, you, you, you might need that double play, but... What if that shortstop literally throws a routine ground ball like he did in the SEC tournament into the stands? I mean, it's not off the base pass. Like, it goes in the stands. Their fielding's and been bad all year. The talent's awful, there, awful. certainly offensively, but it, 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 at some point, does it catch up with them here? And, you know, I just, the atmosphere is going to be great. I think in College Station, it's going to be great as well. You have TCU, who won't have their head coach tonight. A great opportunity for Louisiana, who is you know, um, back in the College Station Regional for the first time in 15 years, 15 years ago, Coach Matt Deggs was an assistant on the other side. He was asked about it yesterday, and he downplayed it. He's like, it's not about me, right? It's about it's about these kids, this team, this university. That's what this is about. You know, we have a great opportunity here and, and all of that. But they uh, last year, A&M was arguably the most disappointing team in college baseball. Just when you look at expectations and standards, This year, no one thought they would be as good as they are. Number five overall national seed. It's almost like they're a year ahead of schedule, a young team. They're taking on Oral Roberts. You have TCU, you mentioned it, regular season champs. Then you have Louisiana, who 
you know, they've been in postseason mode for a while now. So they're entering the postseason having kind of been in that mindset of, look, we got to win or this thing can end. And they're just, they never say die, man. They've been down quite a bit this year. They keep fighting. Obviously, I'm I'm really interested in this regional. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the College Station regional? And which, obviously, you know, you're a Southern Miss alum, and, and you mentioned LSU being in that regional. Where does College Station regional rank for you in terms of, of the ones you're going to be keeping an eye on most this weekend? All of them. I mean, anything that has in Louisiana still, I'm keeping an eye on, too. I mean, there's so many different storylines. But, you know, to, to your point, and I spoke with Jay earlier this week as well, man, it, it, it's hard to not hear when you talk to people that cover the case and the emotion and, and what it matters to, to be back into this, you know. And um, whether it's Matt with FLU, who had gone to a couple of regionals in a row, and then, you know, that, that, that missing and that longing to get back in there. Look, it's the reason Tulane pulled the trigger um, on their head coach here, Travis Jewett, you know, not, not being in for six years. You know, they, it, we, in a good way, have been a spoiled state when it comes to baseball. The expectation levels are high, and once you get that first taste with CWF, like, you know, the Cajuns did in the past, it's, you want to get back. It's harder now. It's tougher um, I think there's good players everywhere in the state. But, yeah, no, I can keep an eye on that because I think it's one of the things, too, that you, you see is it's in those regionals, right, whether it's that one, whether it's Auburn, when I tell you, it's an SEC school they're facing. It's an SEC school that, that their conference basically has people in the top 25, the schools in the top 25 by, by the half dozen, if not more, pretty much most of the year. So, it is a big deal to go in there, you know, the facilities, the advantages and all that other stuff. But in, in college baseball, it's between the chalk lines there and between the dugouts. You know, you, you have a shot. You have a, a, a fight. And, you know, 27 outs, you know, get their first with the, the, the most wins. I mean, the most runs win. So I, I am keeping an eye on it because I, I legitimately think if you are playing with that extra bit and and – it helps you. And, and I think the fact that three of these four schools in the state got won the conference tournament, and that, yeah, that's, that's, some, that's some extra juice, man. You had to you had a battle, you had to get there, you had to you know, win that just to get in there. So I, I think it kind of shows the, the heart from a lot of these schools. I'm definitely keeping up. Gus Kangiel, our guest, NCAA regionals beginning, um, shoot, in a little over an hour because – uh, the Coral Gables Regional, they're trying to beat the weather. So Miami and Canisius will um, first pitch is set for 10 a.m. Eastern. So 9 o'clock this morning for us, NCAA Regionals get underway, and uh, they will go on for, shoot, then once they start at 9, you're looking at 15 or 16 hours worth of college baseball over on ESPN+. Plus. Louisiana TCU tonight at 7. We'll talk more about that matchup and uh, the regional as a whole with Brad Topham, color analyst and UL alum. Next hour, we'll also hit on some of the other regionals. But up next, we're going to chat with Gus Cattengill about the Saints. They had OTAs, biggest takeaways, lots of chatter about Jarvis Landry, Tyron Matthew, Jameis Winston, overanalyzation of Jameis Winston. We'll get Gus's thoughts on all that and more when we come back after this. This is the Great Scott Show on a Gimme All You Got Friday. Right here on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. We're right back right after this. ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. 
Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Give me all you got Friday. Gus Cottingell, Saints and Pelicans correspondent, joining us as we continue the ProNolist segment. We talked NBA Finals. We talked NCAA Regionals. Want to get his thoughts on OTAs, Gus. Saints off-season training activities. Chris Alave appears to uh, be, you know, pretty pretty good in regards to the playbook, considering it's, uh, you know, he hadn't been there that long. Jarvis Landry hit the field and looked strong. Jameis Winston has a limp, which is to be expected because he had surgery six months ago on his ACL. He's on the field, though, which is a good thing. Uh, some players are not on the field. There's a lot of ways you can go with it. I feel like OTAs are always kind of an overanalyzation, but, hey, that's what we do, right? So what is your top takeaways from OTAs? I know you've been hitting on them a lot this week on your show. I haven't talked about them quite as much, but you're over there in the Crescent City. What's the big takeaway so far for you? I, I think it's important from this aspect of it, Scott, that the last couple of years – I think the lack of it has hurt the Saints, to be honest with you. I think um, whether it was Sean saying we can go all virtual and all that, and I do think with certain players that you don't see, it's not nearly as important. But if it wouldn't be as important as I think it is, you wouldn't see then the players that are here say it's important. And you mentioned Jarvis Landry, him saying that, um, because it's important just to get familiar with, you know, the playbook and stuff. But, Guys like Demario Davis, Marshawn Lattimore, um, Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram. Look, it's again, I look at history, and I think one thing that you see is Alvin Kamara, I, I think whatever he's doing is just fine for me, right? <laughs> when you can score six touchdowns in the game, Scott, however he wants to train in the offseason, it's perfectly fine for me. And again, at that position, the wear and tear of the running and all of that stuff, uh, I, I get it and I understand it. I think quarterback is more important because you need that Drew used to always say that time on task, just getting familiar. How does a guy run run out of a route? What's that speed, the judging of it? And even Chris Olave said it before that first OT of last week that, you know, Jameis was overthrowing him. And then they, they finally found the range, and that's what you saw last week when he connected on that 50-something-yard bomb we dropped it in the breadbasket. So stuff like that's important to just kind of get, you know, familiar with it. I think it's important that you, you, you build a bond. Again, if OTAs wasn't important, you go back to what Zach Streif and other linemen said back in West Virginia the, when they mentioned they had to clean the locker room up. And they spoke about the Super Bowl year of 09, where they knew that first week where it's just working out together, where it's just going and eat dinners. It's before they even did the OTA portion of the, the, the plays and the drills. And you remember around those times, those were the times, uh, Scott, where Sean talked, there was about a hundred, there was a hundred percent, you know, attendance and, and all of that. I think you have a veteran team, which is one of the reasons I told you to calm down and I expect that this team can compete because you do have a lot of leaders. You do have a lot of veterans. The guys like Demario Davis, I, he's fine. And again, here's the other aspect of it. We don't know if the day that we get to go there is the day that they have or have not worked out. And what I mean by that is you have seen photos and I have seen tweets of CD Deuce 
at practice and tweeting that he's going through OTAs with the honey badger. And he just wasn't there yesterday. He wasn't there last, uh, you know, Thursday when you look at other players as well. But again, having Lattimore not be there, you're seeing Alante Taylor work with the ones on that defense. Those are valuable reps running around with the Debo, the other starters and safeties, the defensive line. Look, seeing Contavious Street out there yesterday, a uh, part of it. Cam Jordan went through all the reps and work. I, all of that, to me, I think matters. Trevor Penning. You know, James Hurst wasn't there the last two days, but you know what? Trevor Penning is, you know, going through all of those reps. I, I think that's valuable. And, you know, the, the takeaways to me, and you, you brought up the limb, I, I have just been laughing at the amount of people that have made an issue with that. And it's just crazy because it's brought a, a bigger I guess topic to me this week is how people view Jameis is so strange compared to maybe how they view other quarterbacks in this league. If that's Joe Burrow uh, doing that last year, uh, they're probably talking about right, it. Right, right. Oh, he's already character. back on the field. Oh, my God. What a stud. Well, oh, you're right. You're right. And, and you're I'm right. There, and I'm sitting there. And, I'm, and believe me, that was not towards you. But it's just like nationally. I mean, Colin Coward on Tuesday or Wednesday – goes on a seven-minute rant on how Baker Mayfield is the perfect fit and his people should be trying to get him to New Orleans. And he literally Oof. gives reasons Oof. that it would apply for Jameis Winston, that they draft well, they're a good organization, they have weapons around them, he just needs to be st- stable and all that. I'm like, so why would I move from Jameis Winston? This is his third season with this offense, right? He didn't play the first one, but he learned and watched under Drew. He played last year, was 5-2, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions, in a very held-back manner of the offense. This year's his third year going to it, and the two things I noticed yesterday is we'll go to the limp. It was a different knee brace. I've been bringing this up, and I don't see a lot of people bringing it up. What no one brought up was, to me, that limp looked more of a – of a brace thing than a knee thing. And again, if you just listen to the man, last week he said there's no pain. He said he was dropping back full speed, and that's what I kept bringing up on the show. When I see him get out of the huddle and he's dropping back, which is a lateral movement, and then stop and plant, and then deliver the football, which is all his weight going from back to front, landing on that left leg, which is the one that he had the surgery on, it's fluid and it's fast and it's purposeful. If there was a limp or there was something that would encumber you to do that, then you would be doing that in a walking manner. He didn't do that that way, which is why I was like, I wonder if it's a brace thing. And I pointed out that on that brace, you look, and it went all the way past his calf. And if you look at last week's photos, that brace has a big, like, it almost looks like you folded a a T-shirt underneath the calf, and you have it underneath there. And it was, you know, I, I think one of those braces that probably limits or restricts your movement in order to protect. That was a black brace. Yesterday, a gray silver brace is what he had, much shorter, much smaller. I would almost say that almost looks like a playing brace. Now, it could be a situation, Scott, where he's testing out different braces every week because he did say last week that protocol is a year after you're going to wear a brace. You know, he said he plans on wearing a brace during the season. And if you noticed yesterday, the Bengals tweeted OTA, and there's Joe Burrow going through work, and you notice what he's not wearing? A brace on his knee. He wore it all last year. So 
that gives you the idea and the protocol. And the, the limp was not nearly as pronounced yesterday as it was, which, again, leads me to believe it's a brace thing more than a knee thing uh, to be able to do it. Now, he didn't go in full team, quote-unquote, at the very end of practice. And that's, you know, they're going a little faster speed, but it's walk-through speed team. He's doing everything. And when I say, I mean, it's over two-thirds of the time uh, of, of what he's doing. So, um, to me, it's, it's impressive to look at that. But also, Scott, I think the of note uh, that stands out to me is uh, Marcus May. I mean, you know, obviously seeing Jarvis Landry yesterday, you know, was, was big uh, and seeing him go through it. But to me, Marcus May was your, what, your first free agent signing, right? And he was a guy that you chose to replace Marcus Williams, and he's coming back from an Achilles. And I tell you what, it's remarkable the um, where medicine is when you think of the fact that you have uh, a situation where a guy can, uh, you know, tear his Achilles and he's right back at it. So, look, he was running yesterday. I didn't see uh, a knee brace. I mean, uh, an ankle brace. I didn't see anything that, you know, looked heavily taped or anything of that nature. And he's running in all those plays. So, seeing number six back there, I thought was a big, big thing because, again, he, you know, you put him there with, you know, whether it's Jameis or whether it's other guys and, and wonder how healthy they are or not to see him out there June 2nd, running around, doing all those things, I thought was, uh, was a big thing to me. ESPN Lafayette, Gus Kangel, our guest. Let me, let, let me circle back to Jameis for a second. Let's just look at it, I think, fair and objectively. Okay, he's supposed to have a limp right now. Okay. Is he is he is he going to be great this year? I have no idea. Is he going to be bad? I have no idea. I do know this. This is his opportunity this season to either be the short-term quarterback of the Saints or the long-term quarterback. This really is his audition. It got cut short last year when he tore his ACL. And to say that the injury isn't a factor, I, I wouldn't say that either. Obviously, you want to see how he comes back from this. Will it impact his game? But to say that it will or it won't right now, like some of the national media are, because he's limping, which he's supposed to, six months removed from a surgery from a torn ACL, is 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 you know that's that's silly. So I think there's, and I, I said this to you on your show. My big thing on Jameis in 2022 is the short to intermediate passes between the numbers in his career. Statistically, he has been at his best, throwing outside the numbers. He has done well throwing down the field, although he's had some turnover issues. And everybody talks about the turnover thing, so that goes without being said. He can't revert back to that. We know that. With Jarvis Landry, who I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I think he's a very good player, and I think he is the perfect receiver for Drew Brees. Now, I know Drew Brees isn't the quarterback of the Saints anymore, but, man, he would have he loved Jarvis Landry. You talk about Michael Thomas. You know how good he is on slants, right? If if Jameis Winston can excel, or at least he doesn't have to be the best ever, but if he can thrive, if he can be good, right, above average to good at those short to intermediate routes in this Saints offense, then I think, guess what? It opens everything else up. 
I mean, everyone's going to put turnovers at the top of the list. And I, I think it's just one of those things. It's just under terms and conditions of a quarterback, right? You know, you don't even, it's like when you, when you have the terms and conditions thing, when you're downloading an app, you don't read through all of it because it's just lawyer speak. Like the turnover thing, we know that. We don't even have to like spend a ton of time on it. It goes without being said. To me, that's the area. So whether it be OTAs, whether it be mini camps, whether it be training camp, whether it be the preseason, and then when the regular season starts, at the top of the list of what does Jameis have to do to be the long-term quarterback of the Saints, I think he needs to show that he can sell, he can excel in that area of the field because I think the Saints at receiver in 2022, that's where they are going to have a lot of opportunities. I know he can throw it deep to a lobby. I know he could throw it deep to Deontay Hardy. Can he consistently hit those routes that Thomas and especially Landry are going to are going to excel at? And and if the answer ends up being yes, then I think Jameis ends up going from short ter- short term to long term. But that's the top of the list for me for him. The turnover thing, the 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 health thing, those to me, those are obvious. They go without being said. I want to put the emphasis on is he hitting those routes, and that's what I want to see out of him. I, I, that's that's kind of where I'm at with Jameis Winston heading into 2022. Yeah, I agree, and I think one of the things that you um. You know, you saw yesterday, too, like he um, missed some guys high on, on some of those throws in that intermediate part, like you were, you were talking about, and in the other part, you know, he threw a ball that was that, that was intercepted. And, again, a lot of that is being able to plant and getting into full speed and stuff. And, look, by the way, Deshaun Watson threw a pick. So, Tua throws a pick. And that, that was my thing that I kept saying, too, was like, I really hope we're not – you know, sitting here and every time the guy throws an interception at practice or every time he throws an interception um, in the game or something where, you know, we're literally, oh, there it is, there's this turnover thing. I, look, I, I think the one thing that's really going to help him, Scott, is the fact that you have um, really good receivers. And, you know, Jarvis Landry makes a one-handed catch yesterday. You see and you know that what Michael Thomas can do is going to be able to get open. And I think those intermediate passes and things of that nature. Look, I, I like Lucas Kroll at tight end, 6'6", six, six, man, 260-something. Uh, I, I think he should be somebody to keep an eye on as practice uh, continues and things of that nature. But what, one of the things that you look at, um, to me, that stood out, and I know you were asking me some of the things that stood out, was uh, Chris Olave not only looks the part, but my goodness, um, he's the word polished keeps popping yeah, in my head. I yeah. took a series of stills and videos that I've yet to kind of um, post, and I, and I will today. But th- there's one drill that you, you saw yesterday and, and probably some of the photos that you've seen online and stuff of, of Jarvis. It's that same drill. It's two receivers side to side, and the first thing they do is get off the line and have to get past you know an assistant or a coach or somebody that's holding you know, one of those, like, those, those pads, whatever. And you have to kind of just smack with your arms and do a swim move, kind of like press coverage, if that makes sense to you. So, and then right after that, shed it, get your hands up and catch a football that another person's throwing at you in about, a, you know, seven yard distance. And you just see, like, it, it just like, if I'm using just the words to describe what I see, like stability, control, power. And, you know, you just see him, um, almost look like he, he's like a defensive player getting ready to, to make a tackle, you know, get, gets out of the block. And I mean, that swim move is so fast. Yeah. His head doesn't move just perfect technique. And 
when he sheds it and he just sidesteps you and then he's gone, I mean, the hands come up immediately. You see, like, a wide target. The hands are up. The fingers are, you know, are out. And it just, it like, I it, it stood out to me. So much so that the next time he was in line, I, I took stills and video of it. I was like, he just looks different. Like it, And it's not that you didn't see it with Callaway or you didn't see it with, you know, uh, Traquan Smith and all that. It's just it, his stands out, if that makes any sense. It just stands out. It's why Jameis said smooth like the other side of the pillow or, uh, or you know, just it, he stands out, man. And, you know, Jarvis said it yesterday. It's like this guy knows the playbook. He knows all that. So, you know, that's going to help, I think, quarterbacks whether it's Jameis Winston or whoever, when you got three guys that I think will be able to get open uh, and provide a target and create space and allow you to be able to to do that, I think that's going to help. Good stuff, Gus Cattengale, our uh, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Breaking it all down, Saints OTAs. What did Jameis Winston say about Alave? He said he's as smooth as the other side of the pillow. Um, that is your OTA uh recap do we overanalyze sure that's that's all we can do with otas at this point but it doesn't mean there's not stories or factors or things to follow and i like your point gus when we started about the lack of otas for some of the players has hurt this team in the past i i you know you would love full participation from healthy players but you certainly like seeing the new guys out there like jarvis and hey tyron matthew in the early portion of otas looked really strong all over you began Dennis Allen had him playing multiple spots all over the place which isn't a surprise but they're, they're gonna get this guy I just feel like he and Dennis Allen are gonna they're gonna get along well and and he's gonna be moving them all over the place your point about Marcus May already being out on the field Alave Jarvis Landry Jameis Winston anything else you want to add about OTAs before we let you run Gus and as always man we appreciate you taking the time this morning um no, I, I would say I think the one thing that really stands out, and again, you know, whether it's, you know, I, it's funny because, yeah, look, I, I hear you trying to analyze this and that and what plays make uh, against defenses and in shorts, but I think what you do see that, that translates to me is team playing together, being together, and guys doing things that, that – um, that I think do play on later on. And I think it's important that you constantly keep hearing as well. Uh, just to me, it sounds like positive feedback and reviews really of, of what Dennis is and, and how he's handling things. You know, when you hear uh, Jarvis Landry say things like, Hey, I, 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 I think Dennis understands, you know, some of the things that I'm having to deal with and everything. And he was fine with me not being here and all that. It, you kind of hear that, uh, that sense of players coach, I guess to say, if that makes any sense. I think the other thing that you see, hold on, Clark, um, is another thing that we're going to sort of look and see how it's a bit different. And when you talk to people in and around the team, I think one of the things that you see is a, a, a more laid back environment and an environment that um, I think is, I dare say, welcomed. And, you know, I can expand on that a lot more next week. There you go. Great stuff, Gus. Appreciate the time, man. Have a great weekend. We'll uh, we'll talk NCAA regionals, NBA finals, a little more Saints next week. As always, man, guys, give them a follow at GCAT underscore one seven and tell uh, the, uh, the graduate Carver that I said what's up. Sounds good, Scott. Always a pleasure, man. All right, man. Bye. His son, Carver, graduating from pre-K. They grew up fast, guys. They grew up fast. We're going to take a time out here. 
Brad Topham is over in College Station, Louisiana, getting set to take on at TCU this evening. We will chat with him about the matchup, about the regional as a whole. We'll look at some of the other regionals, uh, LSU and Hattiesburg, among others. Uh, it's all coming your way. It's the Great Scott Show on a Give Me All You Got Friday. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! And again, if you missed the early portion of the show, Boston did what last night? In the fourth? NBA Finals record? That's coming your way at the latter portion of this 8 o'clock hour as well. Don't go anywhere. It's Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sport. ESPN 1420, KPEL Lafayette, ESPN 1033, K277DQ Lafayette, a Town Square media station. Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley welcoming you back to Susan's Cubicle here in Accounts Payable. What an afternoon of nonstop bookkeeping action, Charles. Are you kidding me? She set herself a reminder to get out of that chair and move. That's a smart use of a timeout. She's somehow still reading her emails while getting her heart rate up and moving her muscles. Healthy habits that could lower your risk of cancer. Uh-oh, it's Karen from the IT department. This is a wrinkle no one saw coming. She means well, but she just derailed the yoga class down an accounts receivable. There she goes with one of her usual distractions. But Susan just tosses her a no-look way. That's a crazy move. Let's watch that again. She's stretching, and there's the effortless side wave. Susan's putting on a clinic. Susan from Accounts Payable, dominating. Just get moving. It helps in the prevention of so many cancers. Stand up to cancer and Optum want to help you reduce your risk for cancer. Visit TakeAHealthyStand.org. ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show on a Give Me All You Got Friday. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! NCAA Regionals officially beginning in less than an hour, 9 o'clock, Coral Gables Regional, moving it up due to weather. You'll have 15-plus hours of college baseball to take in today. For Asian Cajun fans, they'll be counting down and looking at the clock for 7 o'clock tonight. If you're watching on ESPN+, Plus, as always, we invite you to sync up the audio with the radio call. Get Jay Walker and our next guest, Brad Topham, Asian Cajun uh, alum, former catcher, color analyst, former host of Top's Take, and uh, my friend who joins us now from College Station. Good morning, Brad. How is that uh, weather over there in College Station? What's the buzz like over there for today's regional? Dude, so far, it's pretty good. The weather hasn't really been an issue. It's gonna um, the oven's gonna crank up by Sunday. Well, right you know, now we're good. Let, let, me, let me. I want to start with this one. Um, how much do you think? How much of an impact, if at all? Will the fact that the Raging Cajuns have kind of, they've pretty much been in postseason mode for a while now. I know it's not the exact same thing as a regional, I get it, but the idea of 
you got to win this or else. And I also realize it's 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 double elimination. I get that, but they've been like this the last month, right? Leading all the way up to the Texas State series. Then it went away briefly, but then they, you know, they had a quick ULM series and then it was all right, Sunbelt tournament, you got to win or else. They've they've had that mindset for a while. Is that does that play at all today and this weekend or am I maybe overanalyzing that aspect of this? No, I think it helps with the pitchers more than anything because the um, situations on a normal game on Friday, you wouldn't normally get a pitcher up in. And now when I'm messing around, uh, the leash can get longer during regular season for certain things. Um, Jeff Wilson wasn't pitching bad uh, last Sunday. But you give up three home runs, you give up another base runner, all solos, just made a couple bad pitches. All of a sudden, nah, we can't mess around. Got to go. You know, and, and that's the tougher part for them. It's just less more. It's postseason, so you have less margin for error. So I'd say for the pitchers, I think it benefits them because they're used to it now. Yeah, I got you. I mean, it, it, I, I think for TCU, on the other hand, they were the regular season champs. They've known for a while that they were going to be here, but. Uh, not having their head coach coming in, you know, off a couple of losses. Does that, do they just kind of rinse all that? Is, has there been enough time for them between when their regular season ended and now that, you know, they, they're, they're able to prepare for not having their head coach tonight. And, you know, I'm sure they're over the disappointment of, look, we, we, we didn't do well in the tournament. We're not hosting. Like what, what, what impact do you give TCU being kind of on the other side of it, of, They've known for a while that they were going to be in the postseason, and they've known for, you know, uh, a little little less than a week that they weren't going to have their head coach tonight. Yeah, it's a, um, I don't know much. I know much about Sarlus as a head coach. Uh, something as simple as game notes. You know, you trade them out with your splits and all that stuff, and Sully had texted the three guys involved, Matt Sullivan, uh, sports information guy, and um, he's telling us that, hey, if you look in your notes, you all got two of them, but you don't have TCU splits and all. So really, he's like, yeah, he's called, he called and said, yeah, we don't give those out. It's just information you can dig up out of the um, – dig up on nine. It's something you trade around. So he tells me he gets a text. A&M sent him TCU splits. Basically, dude, it takes two minutes to find this online. It's just a courtesy. But that's how Charlie's does business. I, I don't know him that well. I, I don't really know. I mean, some teams, they can carry a, they can carry what's a perceived snub. They can carry it in the postseason and hurt him. I am curious to see how it goes. Um, and Charlie's is kind of pissed. We're not playing TCU next year. We bought out that game. And I, I don't think he's very happy about it. You know? Yeah, he, so, former not, former Astros pitcher. I mean, there's there's so many storylines in this. Not obviously, you know, from a Cajun standpoint, we've talked about it, and Coach Daggs and returning there and everything else. I mean, is TCU? I I think look, they they want a shot at A and M, and I know that they've got the Cajuns tonight, but I'm sure their fan base is talking a ton about. Look, they they hired away our coach. You know, they took they took Jim Jim Schlossnagel and now you've got yeah. Sarloose who's been his understudy and you know, he's out for tonight's game, but then he's back. He's a guy that, 
kind of has that perpetual chip on his shoulder, right? He's feisty and all this other stuff. I think from a Texas standpoint, those two schools, they're thinking a lot more about one another than their opponents that they have today in Oral Roberts for A&M and then, of course, Louisiana for TCU. And I'm sure in Texas, from that standpoint, that's kind of overshadowing this regional. But, you know, here in Lafayette and obviously, you know, with with the team that we cover, there's there's plenty of storylines from a Cajun standpoint as well. And then I don't look, I don't know a ton about Oral Roberts, to be honest with you, but I, I do think that oh, oh, buddy. Uh, t- tell me t- tell me about tell me about the Golden Eagles of Oral Roberts who captured their twentieth summit league title last weekend. Um well, you've got a team that is top twenty in multiple pitching categories. They got six guys that play, and this is there's some things I'm that about to sound a lot like us. They got six guys that play every day. Two of them have 30 RBIs. Two of them have 40. Two of them have 50. None of them have a huge batting average. All of them hit between 305 and 330. They're a very consistent baseball team, and they're they're good, Scott. They're good. And if you don't pay attention, a man by the name of Legend Smith is going to break one off up the rear of the Maggies, Uh, 13 All-American lefty. He is the only All-American pitcher in this regional, and he's on Oral Roberts. They're good. And and you are right. This is the equivalent of having Texas and Texas A&M in a regional, having us and LSU or us in tech, and not playing in the first round in a regional. This is the same thing. There, uh, there's no talk about us. The talk is about, you know, A and M and TCU. A and M, yeah. And, and the thing is, you know, um, Sarlus is, is a little upset because we're not going to TCU. But the simple truth is, when you you have the option to buy a game out, we bought it out for next year, so we don't have to go to them. Simply because, look, we didn't sign a contract with you. We signed it with Schlossnagel. If he was still there, you'd still be going. They don't owe Sarlus anything. That's not who they came to the agreement with, you know. So he's not happy about it. And but I don't think that translates to the kids. Well, it's certainly players, not in the regional, right? Yeah, no, you're right. And there's there's just there's bigger fish to fry here. You know what I'm saying? It's like sure. Um, uh, how, how big of an impact do you think it is not having your head coach in the dugout for a, a regional game? Uh, again, pitching. He's a pitching coach. It would be like not having Robe. I'm sure they've got their pitching system set up. But there's nobody better when Coach Robe was with us to make the adjustments to the pitcher, to calm the pitcher down. That's what you do. Sarlus is going to be the guy to calm them down. He don't exist. He's not there. So it's yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Um, the guy, and look, you can't look at some of the numbers because they are deceiving. I believe the guy we're going to see is a guy named Riley Cornelio. ERA's four and a half, but and he gives up he gives up, or he gives up eleven home runs, which is actually a lot of home runs. But the guy strikes out more than one inning. He's gonna throw ninety four to ninety six. If the curveball's on, he's good. If not, but I think Dag feels good about it because he's got he's got that good pitch, that good fastball. Well, we hit fastballs. Now, that's what we believe. TCU's got another lefty, preseason All-American, and did not have the season. 6'3 lefty named Austin Crobb. 
KROB. We saw him last year when they came to us. But preseason All-American, ERA is almost six. You know, he hasn't been used. He only ends up with five starts as opposed to being their number two guy. Um, and they've got a closer with an ERA of over six. But he's got ten saves. And I don't know. They're just a team that if I give, we go through numbers, you're not sure how they won their regular season title. And I think maybe that's why they didn't get to host. Yeah. Well, and they were eight and 15 against quad one opponents. You know, I think that, yeah. that, that putting their RPI at, um, gosh, where would I think, I think their RPI was 36. 34. Or 34, 34, yeah. something around there, mid 30s. So, um, they, they, but, you know, they've got some players. I mean, Tommy Sacco, their shortstop, I think he's batting 350, yes. a dozen homers, very 51 good. RBIs, 17 stolen bases. This is the guy, you know, he's, he's like the Rocco for them offensively. Now, his numbers sure. aren't as good as Rocco's. Rocco's are better. But if you're looking at offensive player that when they're on the mound, um, when they're, when they're at the plate, you, you know, you're saying, let's just figure out a way to let this guy, you know, make sure this guy doesn't beat us. That's the guy tonight for TCU. And this weekend, if they have to play the Horned Frogs twice, that I think Cajun pitchers, that's the one they want to keep an eye on because this cat, and he's experienced, right? I think he's a senior. I mean, they've, yep. they've got, they've got the offensive capability. You mentioned pitching Brandon Talley. He'll, he'll get, you know, he had the final out right of of the Sunbelt tournament he had the dream that it was going to happen here he is again you've got plenty of experience with the pitching for the Cajuns but Brad it's it hasn't been it hasn't been the consistent aspect of this team that's to say you've had guys this season have games where they step up with these masterful performances but it hasn't translated where okay now we're seeing it stack up back to back to back to back to back what, what, yeah, what, you know, what, what do you what do you make of the Cajun pitching heading into this regional, and what do you think the biggest key is for them to, you know, get get the kind of performances they're going to need out of them to get through this thing and have a chance to to upset these teams and win the regional? You know, Montgomery played very fair. If you hit it, it was gone. You know, it's it's just like being fatigued on certain days. If you hit it, it was gone. But, it, you know, it didn't go out on its own. You had to do it. And for me, the key, I don't know how the park plays. Um, it would be very uncharacteristic to see the Cajuns implode. Honestly, of the, three, of the four teams in the regional, TCU's got a better chance of imploding if anybody's going to. I'm not saying they are. But, I mean, just their track record, things they've done this year, the way they played, they actually have the best chance of imploding. Or Roberts didn't. Um, I'm, A&M Schlossnagel got them playing well. But it, it's just, it is hard to figure. I mean, you had a team that's in their own conference hitting sixth, pitching fourth, and they won the regular season. They don't, you know, normally one or the other, like the Cajuns finished first. You know, that's how, we're a third-place team. Our pitching staff was number one in the conference. Hitting was middle of the pack. They don't have either. So for me, one of the biggest keys is we have to keep the ball in the, the ball in the yard, and that's uh, um, that, that's a big big key. Now, again, you know you get table setters. So the middle infield, you know, Gray Rogers is their second baseman. Well, he's riding an eleven game streak. Um, the shortstop you talked about, Sacco. Well, he's a Brooks 
Wallace Awards finalist. You know, so he's on the same level as Sheffield from Texas State, who made second team All American, was announced yesterday. He, he, he can go. This this loud, they're good. But again, does it translate? And, and yeah, I have a lot of questions. I, I mean, there, there's some of this stuff. It, it's odd, but I'll tell you, they play seven guys all year. There's no there's no depth. Um, they've got seven guys with 50, 54, 55, 56 starts. They're playing the same group every single day. Um, They've got a DH that rotates in and out and a left fielder. And that's about it, dude. They just, here's all I go. I, I'm, I don't know. This is one of those where this team, oh, man, they're really good. I think if you take the name TCU off the front of the hat and put South Alabama, it looks about the same to me. Really? Interesting. Yeah, they're just, they're, they're a good team. Um, they come from a good conference. But they're not a great team. They're not, you know, they're not anything. I, again, I'm telling you, the, the scariest team in this tournament, if I was on the outside looking in, would be Oral Roberts. Uh, you think of these four teams, got, Oral Roberts is the scariest, or do you mean just in game one because of their pitcher? Well, they have more than one. They pitch so they don't walk anybody. Their strikeout-to-walk ratio is like fifth best in the country. They're scary because they're playing well. And you can actually point to three or four guys and go, okay, they got a dude here, they got a dude here, they got a dude here. You're not, you're not at TCU unless you have talent, but we played them last year. We beat them on Friday, got our butts kicked on Saturday, lose 5-1 and strand about 10 base runners in scoring position on Sunday. You know, we just couldn't get a big hit. We actually out-hit them on Sunday and lost 5-1. It, the reason I say scary is because that's the team – that's playing complete baseball, and they've been playing that way for a little while. And that's what scares me about them. And, again, because if you come into this tournament, A&M and TCU are the teams people are paying attention to because the name across the front of their jersey. And, if, like I said, if you put South Alabama across TCU's jersey, I don't think you see that big of a difference. Now, and, and, I, and that's a compliment because South Alabama's a good baseball team. You know? But, but they I, wouldn't have won the regular season Big 12. I don't understand how they want these guys on the burger season. Big 12. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. All right. The last thing on this regional, and, and I think it'll kind of segue into um, last thing I want to discuss with you, which is NCAA regionals kind of as a whole and a little bit on LSU. You mentioned legend Smith, the all American pitcher for oral Roberts who will go uh, today um, against Texas A&M. You get to NCAA regionals some teams have a lot of aces, right? Southern Miss has three. Some teams yep. have two. Some teams have four. Everybody's got at least one. You know, we can talk about the Cajuns. You can kind of interchange them. And, and it's, you know, of, of every regional team the Cajuns have ever had, you wouldn't look at this one and be like, yeah, that three-man rotation is is the best we've seen. And that's not to disrespect those guys because we're talking about some great pitchers of the past. My point is everyone's got at least one. And you get to see a lot of them today. And as a result, you see some teams, some 1-4 matchups that end up being really close, dogfights. And then maybe you yep. know, the four seed falls off after that. Maybe they can't win the whole regional. But that first game, when you're going up against 
great, great stuff like A&M's going to do today. Now, A&M's got the better team than, than Oral Roberts. They have more talent top to bottom. But, man, you face an All-American pitcher, it's dogfight. So how many upsets do you think we see today, right? It's day one, as opposed to, or rather as compared to, how many outright regional upsets do you think we're going to see by the time Monday night rolls around? If the question makes sense, like how much will t- how many upsets today versus when all is said and done, how many of these regionals won't be won by you know the the favorites, the hosts? Well, so it's two separate questions, right? Because I'm telling you now, the biggest game one is however far down the road Austin is. Because UT has a, a kid, you know, his name, first team All-American. Guy can flat out pitch. Um, and maybe one of the scariest guys in college baseball is a first team All-American for Air Force mm-hmm. named Paul Skanes. Hit 12 bombs, hit 330. ERA's 2-4 ERA with 92 strikeouts. He's going to get on the mound and bump 98-99 consistent. This dude is a – his only issue with being a top 40 pick next year. He's only a sophomore. Will be his um, Air Force commitment and how they work all that out. The dude can flat go. Now, Texas got the National Player of the Year. They've got another and – and they got a lefty named Pete Hansen. I'm sorry, second-team All-American. Who can go? So it's going to be really, really interesting. That, that that first game is going to be scary. There are a few of them. Um, and that's the thing. Some of these teams are here because they have one dude that pretty much when he pitched, we won. And the rest of the time, you were average, and that was enough to get you here. Well, Air Force is one of them. And it's not knocking Texas. Texas is – three guys make All-American. Texas is really, really good. I mean, at one point, they were number one in the country for a reason. But – that's going to be a dude. You got a you got a guy on the mound that's sitting ninety eight ninety nine. It can be a long day. You're going to see a number of upsets today. You're going to see a few upsets when it comes to regionals. That's usually what it comes down to, right? Sure. So understand too. Some teams get hot and they build on a season. You know, it's kind of like if you watch a team with the, the pitchers on a hundred pitches and you pull them. And all of a sudden, they start getting better swings. I don't care who you bring in. Just because it's somebody different kind of thing. Well, the regular season's over. And desperation's over. And you've got to be careful, again, that you know you don't lose any momentum you created. Because you understand how to play in the situation. You understand the pressure and the emotions. And some people can maintain it. Some people can't. And... Again, you're playing for your life, if that's fair. And then all of a sudden, you know, it eases up a little bit on opening day, and it's just it's different. Um, as far as upsets go, honestly, I don't know about upset, but you're going to see some new new faces. Uh, Vatek and John Chef, I would be shocked if they don't win that regional. Gonzaga's good, but they should win that regional. You'll get Maryland in a super regional. Again, they're good. I wouldn't be, but they're not going to be upset. Miami, Coral Gables, Miami, number one, they're good. Number two, can you tell me you understand what's going on in Oxford? How they were number one team in the country. At one point, they were like, I don't know, six and 14 in the SEC. 
I mean, now, they, they were they many viewed them as the most disappointing team in college baseball this year. But if they yeah. if they make a strong run in right now in the regionals, and if they get to Omaha, no one's going to remember the regular season. You know, they got <laughs> in that large. Yeah, they got in that large bid because the way they finished the season. Arizona was in the College World Series last year. They still have players that did not get taken out. They they're good. Um, I think that Coral Gable Regional and Miami, remember Miami um, hosted last year, and it was South Florida playing South Alabama in a regional final because uh-huh. Miami got knocked out. And the other one, there's, there was a snub pretty hard that went on for uh, OU. There was a lot of people upset that they didn't get a regional. And OU got sent to Florida. Liberty is a three seed, and Liberty did what the, the NCAA asked them to do. They play really tough non-conference and got in that large. And then the four, the uh, other team in that regional is Central Michigan. And Scott, I don't know squat about Central Michigan. Until I start scrolling through the All-America team on Baseball America and Central Michigan, I accidentally was on the preseason. Like, whoa, they had two preseason All-American pitchers. One left, one right. And then now they're in the, the, the regional. That tells you something. That means they got a couple arms over there. That regional is, is going to be tough. And I'm not going to expect Florida to come out. I don't have any faith in Florida at all. Also, the Greenville regional, East Carolina got it. Dude, one of the best pitchers in college baseball is a guy named Carson Wisenhunt. He's not playing. Year-long suspension, PEDs. You're talking about a, a guy that's going to be a top 20 pick this year in the draft has not pitched the entire year. Um, I was surprised East Carolina got the host. But let's just talk for real. The real story is going to be in Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge playing in, in Southern Miss. Hattiesburg, cool. sold, they, they sold out like days ago. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. the, LSU, Kennesaw State, Miss. though, before we get into Southern Miss, Kennesaw State, you mentioned non-conference schedule. Um, uh, and then, of course, Army's the, the, the four seed there. This this one, for multiple reasons, is about as intriguing a regional as it gets. Oh, dude, Kennesaw State. So we've talked all year, how's Georgia Southern uh, rated so high? Because Kennesaw State was in the top 30 LPI all year long. Their midweek games are Georgia Southern, Georgia Tech, Georgia. I mean, they're good. I don't know enough about them. But I do know they're very good, and they've been a top 30 RPI team all year long. That is not going to be the pushover. Look, LSU's got two consistent problems. Number one, they consistently make errors. Number two, their pitching, starting pitching staff has been consistently inconsistent, and that, that's something I understand. LSU fans, they um, some, some stuff got misinterpreted, if you listen to them talk. It makes it sound like they're looking past the whole regional. The comments were made kind of looking past Kennesaw State to Southern Miss. That's a mistake. I don't think LSU loses that game. But they're going to, they might have a little more trouble than they're thinking. Southern Miss is good. I mean, they can, they can flat pitch it. Yeah, they've got, I mean, they've got three incredible arms. And 
Um, my final question to you, Brad Topham, have been our guest. You can hear him tonight, 6.30 pregame, 7 o'clock first pitch. He and Jay Walker from College Station, the Texas A&M College Station Regional Louisiana versus TCU tonight. If I, if 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 you were forced to make a bet, let's say you were, so let's say you had a thousand dollars, you you were for you had to bet no matter what, and I said, Brad, thousand dollars on Tennessee to win it all or the field, the field, no questions. Tennessee is one of those teams that doesn't piss their body off, their body. This is Tennessee has become one of those. Um, I wouldn't call them Duke because there's not a lot of people that like them. Tennessee fans love them, and they've gotten obnoxious. And so they're like they're like they the, the Dallas Cowboys of the early '90s, is what you're saying. Yeah, but there's more nationwide fans. I I'm, I'm actually trying to think of a, a way to describe them. They don't have a nationwide fan base, but their fans are obnoxious. That's the crazy part. But they weren't. They, nobody knew Tennessee baseball existed know, two years ago. I know, you know, but they're so good. I, I, I I'm like, how did, they, how did they? How did they ascend this quickly? Because look, it, it's been a long time since the number one overall seed won it all. I get that, but man, I don't remember a number one overall seed as dominant heading into a, uh, heading into the postseason as this Tennessee team is. Well, when you when you go roll into. Um at Georgia Southern and pick off a kid who walks over to you and he's nine and zero with 99 strikeouts and 70 innings. Cause he had a sore shoulder for the last month at Georgia Southern and couldn't pitch. Yeah. Chase Dolaner was at Georgia Southern last year. They wouldn't pluck him. You know, it's a big deal when that guy is in the middle of your pitching rotation and then the bullpen guy throwing 104. Well, he threw hard last year, but not this hard. Four. Good Lord. Yeah. And look, let me tell you something. When you, when it, and believe it or not, when that fastball is 98, dude, it, it leaves the yard. I mean, it leaves the yard fast. People know how to hit that now. Dude, 30, 20 years ago, nobody would know what to do. Now it's just, ooh, look how cool. And I was watching him against Georgia. He was throwing fastballs at 98, 99, and Georgia launched him in, in the, into the stands because they're used to it. No, they're very, very talented. I, I do expect them to be in the World Series. I don't expect them to win it, dude. I, I really don't. I, I just, I don't know. Teams like that, I hate to say they, they get what's coming to them, but they seem like a team that's going to get what coming gets what's coming to them, and it's going to be, it's going to be rough. Um, I will tell you though, one to keep an eye on is who we're partnered with. Don't be shocked if Oregon wins the Louisville Regional. LSU fans know about that. LSU went up there last year and ended up beating them. They have a lot of guys back. They're going to be pretty good. And I'll give you for some Belt people, the Stanford Regional, dude, that regional is going to be tough. I mean, te- Texas tough. State, Texas State. I don't care what they say publicly. They were stunned when they learned that they were going to Palo Alto, and not in a good way. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you're yeah, happy you're in the postseason, course. but come on, they're they're like, wait, what? We're going where? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, UC Santa Barbara. Yeah, they the walked Gauchos. away with that conference, and they have been playing. They have been playing good baseball for a very, very long time. That is a dude. I'm sorry, they got a raw deal. They're going to compete, but yeah, they got a raw deal. Cause NCAA regionals, give me all you got. That is Brad Topham. Listen to him tonight. Louisiana versus TCU and all this weekend. If you want a rundown of where to watch, how to listen, and the times of all of the games, 
you can head over to ESPNLafayette.com or the ESPN Lafayette app and check out the story there. Brad, appreciate the time, man. Enjoy College Station, and uh, I know that you're hoping to drive back uh, early next week with um, with more baseball left to be played for the Cajuns. But it's going to be a Got fun series, man, and uh, it's going to be a fun game tonight. Looking forward to listening to you and Jay all weekend. Hey, but hopefully we're still rolling. Like we could talk Monday morning. Yeah, appreciate it, brother. Have a good one. All right, babe. Bye. Bye. Brad Topham, breaking it down. Man, loves some college baseball. Loves it. Loves it. Game is showing on the ESPN networks this weekend, ESPN Plus. If you're going to watch the Cajuns, then please sync it up with the uh, radio call. But uh, maybe you're watching LSU, Kennesaw State. Maybe you're just watching all day and you're flipping around. First pitch is less than 20 minutes away for the first game. Miami, take it on Canisius. And uh, then you got some games out on the West Coast that have 9 p.m. scheduled start time, so 15-plus hours of college baseball for you today if that's something you enjoy. NBA Finals. I wanted some drama. We got some last night. The Celtics... Celtics did what now? Huh? What? The NBA record for most what? What happened? How did that happen? I'll explain next. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. You saying? Oh, you trekkies and TV addicts. Don't mean to this, don't mean to bring static. Oh, you cling on to your grandma's house. Grab your back street friend to get loud. Bullet doors off inches. Grab you with the pinches. And no, I didn't retire. I snatch you off with the needle nose pliers. Black is you look over whore. What you won't get to see before. Riding in the glazing. Welcome back into the great Scott show on a give me all you got Friday Boston in the fourth quarter that was a give me all you got quarter holy cow watching the game last night Steph Curry goes off in the first quarter can't miss just ungodly and then after that Good third, great first, good third. Shut down in the second and fourth. Boston takes the punch in the first, has a halftime lead, but then Golden State just, they're they're running away with it, right? They led by 15 in the third, and they're looking like the vintage Warriors. They're at home. They haven't lost their all postseason, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, we're going to have another... Just another bad NBA postseason game. And then Boston in the fourth quarter with Jason Tatum playing bad and Marcus Smart on the bench for the more than two-thirds of the fourth just go on this incredible run. 40-16. to 16. 40 to 16. That was the that was the score in the fourth quarter. Boston outscores them. 
by 24. It is the most lopsided fourth quarter in NBA Finals history, and it came from a team on the road getting a bad performance from their star player and having Derek White Jr. and Al Horford knock down three-pointer after three-pointer in the fourth. Who wrote that one? Who predicted that? Between White, Horford, and Marcus Smart, they were 15-23 from beyond the arc. Gus said it earlier when we were talking NBA Finals last hour. So much of the postseason, you can look at the three-point line. Well, last night, Boston was over 51% from three, while the Warriors, okay, yeah, Curry went off. He couldn't miss in the first quarter. He was, what, 6 of 8? He finished 7 of 14 for the game. Warriors shot 42% from beyond the arc. Pretty good. Not bad. But Boston, an ungodly 51.2. They shot a higher percentage from three-point range than they did from inside the paint. Come on. Emi Adoku was great from a coaching standpoint. They put Marcus Smart on the side in the fourth. They got Peyton Pritchard out there, and he played well. But whenever he's out there guarding Steph Curry, and you have the defensive player of the year on the bench, and Golden State's not doing anything to adjust, they... In the past, when they've had it going, have seen teams lie down and just say, all right, we're done. We'll just look ahead to next game. And when they had that third quarter, they let their guard down, and they were like a prize fighter that was dancing around the ring, feeling good about themselves. They're like, we're quicker, we're better, we have farther reach. And as soon as they let their guard down, Boston punched them in the mouth with a brutal uppercut. Al Horford, old man Al, 9 of 12 from the field, 6 of 8 from three-point range. What? Al Horford? Anytime he would get the ball in a fast break and would try to turn into a de facto point guard, it was like, I don't know, looked like a bulldog on a skateboard. Just trying trying to keep it together. But it worked. Boston now has a 1-0 lead. They've won on the road at a venue where the other team had been undefeated in the postseason to that point. And they win double digits, although the game, it, it brought some entertainment value. The drama was there in the fourth. And they got a bad performance from their best player. Jason Tatum played more minutes than anyone last night, by a lot, on either team. No one even, you know, the next closest players were at 38. He played more than 42 minutes. He was three of seventeen. Now look, he 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 distributed. He had thirteen assists. He was his plus minus ratio is plus sixteen. It's actually better now, Horford. So you know when we say Jason Tatum played bad, I think everyone's just focusing on the offensive side of it. And and by his standards, he did. Is he going to do that again in this series? Celtics keep finding a way, man. Draymond Green after the game said he wasn't really worried about it. Said, look, it's one game. We'll be fine. Not a big deal. They do have some championship pedigree. The core of the Warriors do have plenty of finals experience, and they thought that would come into play. And it did look like Jason Tatum had some jitters last night. But I think the whole finals experience thing, I think it matters 
in game one, and then I think it matters if you are in a clutch situation in game seven and you're freaking out because you know it's on the line. Other than that, I don't see it being much of a factor in games two, three, four, and if necessary, games five and six. I think we're in for a good series, y'all. Draymond Green after the game. Several of Al Horford's threes were, were wide open. I mean, do, what do you guys need to do better there? Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll figure it out. Uh, watch some film, but you know they have guys that put pressure on the rim, so you're going to have to rotate and help. And uh, we'll have to figure out where our next rotation is coming from and and do it. But you know, um, they hit 21 threes, and Marcus Smart, Al Horford, and Derek White combined for 15 of them. So those guys are good shooters, but. They combined for what? Fifteen out of eight. Where's Smart? Seven, eight, fifteen for twenty-three. My math right? Eight, seven, and eight. Eight, seven, and eight. Yeah, that's twenty-three, right? Yeah. Fifteen for twenty-three from those guys. Eh, you know, so we fine. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Is Boston going to get another performance from Beyond the Arc from those guys like the one they had last night? I doubt it. I doubt it. Seventeen to twenty-six. If you want to throw Peyton Pritchard into the mix there as well, it was just. On one hand, I don't think Boston gets another game like that out of those guys, but I also don't think Jason Tatum is going to go three of seventeen again. So there is a give and take to all this. Is Draymond Green going to go two of twelve in a game again? Sunday night, game two, catch it right here on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Jay Walker, Brad Topham, have Raging Cajun baseball for you tonight. Louisiana versus TCU over there on Newstalk 96.5 KPL. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll talk to you on Monday morning. This has been the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Yeah.